Before we get into the next episode of By Association, I'd like to take a moment to thank Bose for their support of this podcast and their amazing noise-canceling 700 headphones that make each episode a joy to make. Thank you, Bose. Hi, I'm Marisa Janiku. And I'm Michelle Wungsmanavi. And welcome to By Association a show where we talk about the connection between creative entrepreneurs and their collective drive to bring a product or brand with purpose to the consumer. A connection usually starts with a drink, and this is how we'll start our show. Sharing a bottle of wine or champagne and understanding why this bottle is special to our guest. Welcome to a new episode of By Association. My name is Michel Wongsmanawi. Uh, on my right, we have Maurice Ajanaku, and today we have a special guest, yeah, we have Matthias uh, Kahn with us. Uh, Matthias, uh, Michelle and I have got to know through his uh, champagne brand, which we will definitely be talking about. Uh, Matthias, please introduce yourself. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me here. I'm really excited. My name is Matthias Kahn. Um, I'm an uh, entrepreneur living here in uh, Amsterdam currently, originally Swedish, and uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, Champagne Hat Zerner which I brought a bottle from that we're soon going to try. Yes. And uh, here in uh, Amsterdam, uh, I'm running a company called Kobo. It stands for Connoisseur Bohem, which is a, a distribution company for luxury drinks and foodstuffs. Ah, cool. Perfect. So we started, of course, talking about the bottle you brought with us. Um, I'm excited when I saw you walk in because uh, I know the previous uh, the previous years uh, you've had. But please tell us about the bottle and and, and and what it means to you and why why it's special and why you brought it. Yeah, I was very happy that uh, I was able to bring this bottle uh, today. We only received it uh, here uh, ten days ago. Um, it's uh, our Le Grand Père Omnes, which is very much at the top of the range of what we make in Hattatsöner, and it's made uh, in the vintage of 2012 which means a lot to me because that is the year that we actually started Champagne Hattatsöner. And it is the first champagne that we made under our own leadership uh, yeah. together with our winemaker, Francois. So something very special, a champagne that uh, we created to, uh, to follow our vision of innovation. Yes. And this is the third edition of this champagne out of a total of five. So we're right on the halfway mark <laughs> for this. Oh, you guys want to open the bottle first, or want to well, talk more about Well, it depends. Is it chill enough, or you want to keep it chilling for a bit? No, I I prepared it uh, okay. <laughs> back at the office. No, I think yeah, sure. No, that's uh, please, please go ahead, uh, Matthias, and uh, open up that bottle. Yeah, beautiful bottle. It's uh, it's. Uh, could you tell us something about the label? Because of course, the label is as black as the bottle itself, or as dark as the bottle itself. Uh, I mean, what's what's special about that label? Yeah, it's very much a black on black uh, style bottle. And uh, it was based on our uh, Le Grand Père Dignitas that has the same uh, bottle but in brown uh, and the label in gold. Here we made the bottle black and the label black and it's a pewter label. Okay. So it's very soft uh, metal and over the years uh, the black color will fade mm -hmm. and you will see a silver hue instead. Wow. And is it a bottle that you can, you can keep over the years? Is it meant to age? This is uh, really still a very young bottle. Mm -hmm. Uh, another 25 years for this easily, especially, especially considering it is 100% Chardonnay. Yeah. Only from uh, La Cote Blanc, mm -hmm. from one single plot, uh, Berger de Vertu, where we have old vines planted by a winemaker's grandfather. Okay. So 100% uh, Chardonnay, half fermented on steel, half on oak, with a dosage of 3 grams. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm, yeah, please. Are you guys ready? Please, please I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm ready. So just for those listening, Matthias is making his rounds because we are distant from each other, of course, now. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. I think this will be quite exciting. Sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matthias. Oh. And how many of these bottles have you already opened since you uh, received the batch 10 days ago? <laughs> Zero. This is your first? This is the first one I'm opening here, yeah. Oh, wow. I've tried it before uh, of course, in, in the... champagne, but yeah. uh, not here. No. It always tastes a little bit different uh, depending on where you drink. Yeah. The champagne gives you a different experience. Of it. Oh, wow. Perfect. So. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
Beautiful. Can you take us through that, through through what we smell and? Yeah, on the nose uh, right now, it's still uh, it's eight years, but for these kinds of grapes, that's still a very young uh, wine. So we have uh, primary flavors on the nose, some uh, citrus, mm. apple blossom, and those little hints of uh, honey that are mm. uh, yeah. very um, normal for secondary flavors in a Blanc de Blanc. Taste is amazing. Like it a lot. You said something about innovation process. Could you tell us more about that? When we founded the, the house, we founded it on five uh, values: mm -hmm. family, because it's families coming together that uh, has made it possible for us to create Hatat uh, Söner. Passion, the passion we have every day to wake up and continue working. Passion that our winemaker has yeah. in the vineyards, no matter the weather, rain, sun, snow. He's out there taking care of the vines. Um, openness and knowledge was very important for us to uh, share with everyone our experience of being in Champagne as outsiders. And finally, innovation. We felt it was our responsibility coming to Champagne with a new mindset to push the envelope and yeah. see what uh, we can create. This was the first innovation that we made uh, the same year as we officially became uh, uh, owners of the house, but uh, the year after we also launched Personal Vintage, which is the first chance ever for private individuals to come to Champagne and yeah. craft their own Champagne. Okay. And you say we, who, who, who is we and, 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 and why did you make that journey to own a house in Champagne? Yeah, it's uh, usually I respond that it's not my fault, uh, <laughs> but uh, I met uh, when I was living in Paris, uh, I was 19 years old when I moved there, I met uh, a guy Christopher Ruscon, um, half Swedish, half French, and we quickly became friends because we shared this nationality, but also a drive and an interest to become uh, entrepreneurs. His uh, family on his father's side is French, and they have known uh, Francois Valois and his family since the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, it was he that called me up uh, one day in 2009 and said, I have decided what I want to do with my life now. I want to buy a champagne house. And I uh, thought, well, it has to be coming from you, is such a grand idea. Uh, yeah. But uh, after some discussions, uh, we decided to try and do it uh, together. And the house was coming up for sale because uh, the two daughters of Francois at the time were not interested in continuing the family business. Mm -hmm. So there we thought, perhaps there is a way for us to uh, allow Francois's five generation long heritage in the Champagne region to continue and for us to uh, create a new uh, a new heritage. What were you doing before considering owning a house, buying a house? Yeah, we were we were trying to figure out what to do uh, <laughs> with our lives. <laughs> uh, we were students studying uh, uh, first uh, in Paris and then in Sweden, uh, business and languages. Okay. Uh, and it was during that time that this all developed. Oh, so it really was from your student time, let's say, that you went straight into this world? Or was there an in-between moment? And it, it, there, there was an in-between moment. Um, uh, in 2009, I was halfway through my uh, uh, master's. So then we started trying mm -hmm. to raise funds. But obviously, 2009, uh, with the financial crisis mm -hmm. back then, was a very difficult time for anyone to raise funds, and especially uh, two 22- and 23-year-old guys without any track record. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not French, wanting to buy a house in Champagne. It's, yeah. it's a... A hurdle. It, it was uh, quite uh, difficult and we of course tried the normal paths, uh, friends and family, right. uh, the banks, private equity investors yeah. uh, and in the end uh, we actually met um, our investors after two and a half years when we were doing an event in a nightclub. <clears throat> okay. So uh, that was very fortunate. But time. at that time it, it was just an idea, right? It wasn't that you've already made champagne. Well, we were very fortunate with Francois already having an ongoing uh, production. Mm -hmm. So there was champagne. Mm -hmm. so in the meantime, 2009 to 2012, we were building a distribution business in Sweden, importing primarily his uh, champagnes. Okay. So we could show them and uh, explain. So you already had that. You already had that relationship, and um, yeah, and you're talking about. Of course, uh, sorry, <laughs> you had that relationship. And how was it going into 
champagne as Swedes, let's say? I mean, was it a difficult... Well, it was difficult and also not. Mm-hmm. I mean, once we were... The, the biggest difficulty, I think, for outsiders getting to champagne is to have this relationship that Christopher's family already had. And normally when you come to Champagne, it's quite close to area. It's a rural area. Very few speak English. So if you don't speak the, if you don't speak French, you have a hard time uh, discussing yeah. about these things. Yeah. Um, but once we got in, we could uh, run our business. But we also did. Uh, uh, we we um, experienced uh, that closed community. Yeah. That is uh, in Champagne and everyone as people are inherently difficult to change right change is very difficult for us yeah and in champagne it has been quite steady going for the last 150 years or so so mm-hmm. when we come in and try to shake it up people look at us and wonder why do you have to come here right. and change things when it's all going so well <laughs> yeah um, so uh, th- and- that we noticed and that change that you wanted to bring, was that more just a personal uh, personal need or was it something that you did see in society saying, look, there, we do need to change the pride vintage, the way we want to do things needs to be different because of just pe- what people want or was it ju- just your personal drive? I think it was a multitude of factors that uh, led to it. We felt coming to Champagne, being very knowledgeable about Champagne, that a lot of the time uh, we would visit uh, producers or talk to people. We would read online about uh, Champagne. And there would very, very often be errors in the stories that are recounted or the facts that are given. Mm-hmm. Or when you were visiting this various houses, you wouldn't receive a full picture of, uh, of what champagne really is. Mm-hmm. And we found this uh, to be extremely confusing. Mm-hmm. That's why two of our keywords are knowledge and openness. Yeah. Because uh, we wanted to be the house where you can come and you can, uh, at the end of the tasting, perhaps know that I didn't want to buy anything. But now I know where to go to find the champagnes that I really love. Mm. Um, and coming back to uh, innovation, we saw that uh, there was a lot of opportunity to create uh, new things in champagne and to share the experience of how it is actually made. Right. Uh, so that's what we wanted to do with Personal Vintage, to share the experience we had of coming to champagne as outsiders, but also to empower uh, our clients and our visitors yeah. with this knowledge yeah and that empowerment and that sharing of course i first met you when you had when when you had um, a dinner where you where you hosted a dinner yeah and then later on you came to my house and sharing it with uh, with, <clears throat> with with many Indeed. of my friends as well is that key to 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 what you do to Otten Sonner, what you're trying to achieve and 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 why because a lot of brands don't do that there isn't that real no. personal touch no, I think uh, what we're seeing in the wine world and the distribution world today are massive trends of consolidation mm-hmm. where we, uh, um, where the big are getting bigger, uh, which is, uh, I think, very normal in this industry. Um, for us, it was just not the way we wanted to go. And we feel like all these small producers in Champagne and all other wine regions, they are slowly, slowly disappearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our close friends uh, in Champagne, uh, the Agrapar family, uh, they are in Avis, which is one of 17 Grand Cru villages. So really the absolute top of what you can find in Champagne. And in that village alone last year, there were two houses that sold out because there are no importers uh, willing to take on their products. And this we feel is a terrible situation mm-hmm. when these small producers are gone. They're never coming back. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And that's then, is that also the reason why you now created your second business? Uh... Yeah, it's a part of the reason, absolutely. One of the reasons is because in HUT, uh, we always wanted to be very close to our clients. It's very personal for us, and we want uh, everyone to feel that. That's why we're doing these tastings. And during our journey in HUT, uh, we have decided that we are not trading. Uh, very publicly we're not sold in any shops or any e-com solutions yeah. uh, we're open for everybody as long as there's bottles available uh, but we wanted to come to a tasting that we invited to complimentary to experience the champagnes and uh, the story and to learn about uh, champagne um, so this is a reason why Kobo is founded mm-hmm. originally and 
to help all the other small producers to get out there and to meet uh, consumers that are interested in what they are doing. Yeah. And where are you with Kobo now? What what's the what's the whole premise? I guess it's it's kind of like this 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 club. Or I think you explained it to me previously. The club without membership. I mean, yeah, what's, it's what's... a non-members club. <laughs> club. Non-members club. club. Non-club club. <laughs> yeah, but we don't like to call it a club because uh, yeah, we it's not, it's not really a club. It's not where you come to uh, necessarily meet with other members, which you can do, of course. But that is not what we are necessarily about. But we invite various uh, events. That you have access to mm-hmm. only as being a client. So there's no membership fee, but to become, but you have to become a client. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of champagne tastings going on all the time. We have caviar tastings. We have cooking classes where you learn how to cook various uh, meals together with a great chef. Uh, and now uh, we do wine and old wine tastings. Okay. You can taste uh, already matured bottles. Mm-hmm. And is that is that only here in Amsterdam at the moment, or is it global already? No, it's not global already, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's primarily here in Amsterdam. We have our uh, uh, our non-members club club room uh, <laughs> down on Markustraat. Okay, okay, and it's yeah. more just about the connection. If you meet someone, you invite them to be part of it, or yeah, or you can sign up online uh, okay. at our website uh, as well. And then as soon as we have a tasting, we invite you to it. Right. Yeah. Ah. Nice. Tell us more about the brand, by the way, because you uh, guys came straight out of school, uh, had an idea, looked for the funds, and then what happened after that? Yeah, so we uh, were doing an event in a nightclub uh, with Francois, with the Champagne Francois Valois. And uh, there we meet uh, a guy who says, this is uh, the best champagne I have ever tried. And uh, they call me the Champagne King of Studeplan, which is part of Central in Stockholm. So uh, we thought... Uh, let's perhaps uh, tell him about uh, the idea and that's where the conversation started um, this was in April 2011 and by the 1st of January 2012 we had all come to terms and that's when really the process towards what was going to become Hattet Söner started yeah. Hattet Söner uh, means the hat maker and the sons and it uh, translates to uh, what we wanted to signify uh, with the house the French connection the Swedish connection and the Ruscon family's heritage in the family business. Mm-hmm. So that is the hat making and uh, Söner uh, is uh, the, we were all sons who started it but also in Swedish and in yeah. the end the French connection got a very small part it was only the ET <laughs> and in the middle uh, we originally named it uh, differently but uh, there were some other producers that had uh, similar <laughs> names that were very unhappy with right. our choice. <laughs> and the label that we have today is also very much coming back to the uh, uh, Ruscon family's heritage. And this is an old mirror frame that uh, uh, belonged to Christopher's grandfather, okay. who originally became friends with the Valois family. All right. So you're from Sweden. Yeah. You lived in France, where this all happened, like Paris, right? Yeah, at the time, and, uh, yes. Yeah. And what led you to uh, move to Amsterdam? Well, after uh, uh, living in Paris, I moved back to Sweden and studied and we started uh, the company and in 2014, I felt that uh, I wanted to travel. I wanted to work with our brand uh, through the world. So I moved, uh, started looking after our distribution in Asia and opened up Australia. And during this time, I was living in Dubai. Uh, there I met uh, Sandy Woodcock, my wife. Mm. Uh, we had our first son there. Uh, and during the time um, we started making uh, the decision to move into a by invitation only sales uh, yeah. model where um, uh, we stopped working with distributors yeah. so after a while i was living in dubai but i was traveling up to europe all the time so you did so the model so you did start first with distributors with your brand so you yeah. actually made that switch yeah and, and why why, yeah. why why did you make that switch away from distributors yeah it has a lot to do with personal vintage actually which we think is something that really lies at the core of what we are uh, doing uh, this uh, last year we had over 500 people come to champagne to create their own champagne with us uh, and they are extremely important ambassadors not only for us but for the entire region for these small uh, producers um, and um, we noticed that the distributors were not really interested in what we thought was the best idea and product ever and we learned that uh, it is because they have no experience selling a product 
like this. It's a journey that you take that goes on for at least four years uh, when you make your own champagne because it has to mature for a very long time in the cellars. So uh, it was something that didn't fit into their business model. And then we felt that we are not going to uh, uh, move an inch from what we believe is the right way. Mm. And then instead we take a few lean years and we switch. And yeah. uh, now we are here. And, 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 and it's been, yeah, I mean, that takes a lot of guts, like you what? say. <laughs> yeah. But but I mean, has it paid off? Do you feel that mm. it's made the brand stronger? By I think believing it's been uh, great for us uh, to make this uh, switch, actually. And uh, it allows us to know every client, yeah. be in direct contact with them. If there's anything that is great, we are there to learn about it and to celebrate with them. And if there's any problems, we are also there immediately to uh, mm -hmm. to take care of it. And is, does word of mouth play a role, like with from your clients telling their friends and so on? Has that really been a main? It has been a huge uh, driver yeah. for us, uh, also considering that we don't really do marketing okay. uh, the way you see other brands do it with social media ads or um, uh, any kind of advertisement. Uh, we r extremely rarely do any sponsorships. Uh, we have since uh, the beginning of our first company in 2009 been uh, very active in charity. Okay. And this is... Uh, if you would, I don't think you should call it marketing because charity is to be charitable, mm -hmm. but that is the only time we sponsor. Okay. And that's important to you. And what charity is that? Uh, it's multiple charities uh, around the world here in the Netherlands. We have worked over 15 charities uh, now from small local charities to uh, some of the bigger ones like the Bio Gala or Viral the Outers, uh, yeah. uh, for yeah, instance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and internationally, uh, quite a few uh big galas every year yeah. huh? and what has been one of the most surprising moments during your whole journey of of owning a house and or a champagne house i mean what's the what is one of those crazy stories yeah i, I think uh, th there's many to uh, many to think about i think in the beginning the we had worked so hard and so long to get to the point where it was all going to uh, happen. And when we were receiving guests in the vineyards, when we launched uh, Personal Vintage the first year in 2013, we had uh, 35 guests join us for the harvest. Now we have 350 guests joining us for the harvest. Oh, so wow. it was quite different. We were all on one airplane down from Sweden. Uh, and just to uh, experience how happy people are with what we have created. Yeah. to experience this is really uh, the biggest uh, uh, reward but to touch on something else um, when we started i thought that i'm going to get so tired of tasting these champagnes <laughs> all the time you know the same bottle year in year out and not exactly the same but still very similar uh, and that is something that i find very surprising for myself these champagnes these keep on surprising me mm. uh, how often do you drink champagne a glass in the morning and then a <laughs> glass in the yeah. a glass in the evening. But, but you're yeah. saying about the you're saying about the personal vintage because I you know the the concept of personal vintage is, yeah. is is your customers then go and create their own champagne, yeah. um, and the taste is different. Where I mean, if they're if if they're collecting the same grapes out of that vintage, uh, yeah. how why does it taste different? What's what how, what makes each well every year is. Uh, different yeah uh, with the weather it affects the grape in different ways how much sugar does it bind how much acidity does it bind what kind of flavors does it produce how old the vines are also plays a role then you can choose uh, various options for your uh, for, for the completion of the wine so you can choose bottle sizes which affect the taste you yeah, know exactly difference between half magnums and magnums uh, you can choose the dryness you can choose oak or steel you choose to have old oak young oak so there's a lot of options uh, that eventually creates a unique champagne for each person and how many bottles is that how many bottles is a private uh, you start at 60 bottles uh, up to a maximum of 300 wow so uh, one per week <laughs> <laughs> but it's really a journey that you take because uh, you come to champagne you join in on um, on working uh, you join in on touching and feeling, right. uh, but it's it's our team that executes all the winemaking. Yeah. But it's your decisions. 
So you come and you experience the harvest, you taste your bottle on its way from maturation. Mm. So you're, it's really like watching a child grow up. Yeah, and it's minimum of four years, or do you, is it always four years? Or do you also do, do, can people choose also how long they let it sit? You can to mature? choose longer uh, yeah. if you like. The uh, minimum time is four years. Uh, that is the minimum time it takes to create a vintage champagne mm-hmm. from the moment of harvest. And out of all the private vintages that you've created for 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 your customers, your friends, and so on, I, I mean. What is maybe the most unique one that, or the craziest combination that 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 someone's created that might that you haven't tasted yet or have tasted? Well, we had uh, one uh, client uh, uh, in uh, Dubai who shows a very high uh, dosage, so very he made it a very sweet uh, mm. champagne, which we thought was uh, it is he is the only uh, client uh, that has done it, but it turned out uh, beautifully. Okay, so that was very surprising. Uh, in the trend in champagne is very low levels of sugar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. today but he had over 20 grams uh, yeah. per liter yeah and have you now in the champagne region have has the community embraced you or is there still a bit of a you know do you still get a bit of you know it's both okay. i think uh, we get along really well with uh, the other front runners uh, the pioneers the innovators that want to change things and want to try new things but those that are happy with uh, the status quo they are usually unhappy with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are not unhappy with them yeah. in any way. But I think they feel like, why are you trying to change something that is already working? Yeah. And and going back to the choice of the champagne, I mean, that was your friend that, you know, was like, oh, you know, I want to buy a house. And why was it a house in champagne? Why wasn't it just a wine house? Why wasn't it, you know, you know, a whiskey distillery and so on? What, what was so special about champagne? Yeah, I think... Uh, there's a very famous Norwegian entrepreneur, uh, Petter Stordalen, uh, who founded a hotel chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was a kid, he was selling um, strawberries on the market. And uh, he thought that all the other people had better strawberries than him. But he realized uh, then what uh, today is, in the, at least the Nordics, known as the strawberry philosophy. Yeah. You have to sell the strawberries that you have. <laughs> And uh, I think that was also what happened for us. I mean, the fact that we even had the opportunity to have an offer to buy into yeah, Champagne insane. was amazing. Yeah. We sure didn't have any other offers uh, to buy a vineyard <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> uh, but that was, um, uh, that was it. And of course, we liked uh, Champagne. Uh, at the time, Christopher has grown up uh, tasting wines uh, since he was five years old. <laughs> I... Uh, you know, being uh, raised by Swedish parents had maybe a more um, uh, lagom approach to it. Lagom is a Swedish word. It means just yeah. about the right amount, which for my parents meant 18 years old uh, before <laughs> any uh, alcohol. Uh, so uh, my champagne journey had just uh, begun uh, yeah. when we kicked off. So you, you told us about uh, creating your own champagne. Take us through that journey, because if I decide like, to create my own champagne or do it with friends, yeah. uh, what happens? Because you let it sit for four years. Are there any things like events in between? Or Yeah, there sure is. Uh, to begin with, when you uh, consider making your own champagne, you come to a champagne tasting, where we actually taste uh, what's called vin clair, so a still wine, mm-hmm. uh, before it undergoes a secondary fermentation to have bubbles in it. Uh, and here we taste the wine like a winemaker would taste it, trying to decide what flavor you want to create, what are you going to create it for? Is it just for your personal enjoyment or are you doing it for your 50th birthday party yeah. or in commemoration of the year that your children were born? Yeah. And it has to be a champagne that will mature slowly and nicely for the next 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these are considerations that we take into account during this tasting, which is a blind tasting and your senses guide you. Because mm-hmm. personal vintage, although the quality is really at the top of the scale of what you can find in champagne, uh, making a champagne like this is a personal thing. It is about what you want and not what some wine uh, expert will tell you is the right uh, flavor yeah. uh, to have. So in champagne, we have two events uh, every year for personal vintage uh, owners only, uh, one in spring and one during harvest. These are fantastic uh, days when you really come close to uh, the winemaker and the vineyards. Uh, It's a full day of tastings and uh, knowledge. And in the evening, a black tie dinner party in a 950 year old abbey. Mm. It's uh, quite spectacular. 
Uh, but throughout the year, we have a lot of events uh, going on locally uh, that you can join. Different yeah. tastings, tastings of uh, Omnes, where you can experience it. Uh, it's a, it's a more than just the champagne. Yeah. How involved is the family now? Uh, very. Still. Uh, have the daughters changed their minds? One of them has, <laughs> actually. Uh, Celine decided, uh, Celine Valois, uh, decided quite quickly after um, after we came into the picture that uh, she wanted to come back. Okay. And in 2013, she started studying enology at the university in Reims and uh, is now working alongside her father to uh, take over one day, which yeah. we're super excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, really fantastic. So it is really a partnership with the family. You didn't buy the house. You, we bought you, into, you the bought into the house. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So we created... Uh, how to stand it together with Francois because although today we know theoretically a lot about uh, making uh, wine, wine is a v- making wine is a very tactile uh, profession. Mm-hmm. You have to be there, you have to taste, you have to feel, you have to remember what was it like one year ago, what was it like the other year when it rained only in July. Uh, these kinds of considerations are what uh, Francois takes into account and is passing on to Celine uh, yeah. as well. So for us to just buy it and put a new organization there, uh, was uh, something we didn't want to do uh, and we didn't think it was feasible either. What's your advice to uh, people who want to start their own brand or want to start their own champagne brand? you have like things that you um, would like to say to starters? I think uh, for, uh, for anyone who wants to start uh, their own business, uh, be it what it may, uh, persistency beats resistance. Never give up. Yeah. and believe in yourself yeah. keep working work hard and if you work hard and you have a good idea there should be nothing to stand between you and uh, your dream yeah and how important are brand rituals i mean i remember when when you were when when we were at uh, my place you know the the saber came out yeah and i believe that that might be a ritual that you uh, that yeah. you do with a champagne so yeah we do it every time uh, Every tasting. And is that really your ritual that you want to connect with your brand? Or is it just something that you feel just connects people with the experience? Uh, It's not necessarily so that we want to be the sabering uh, brand uh, like that. Um, But it's... um, We we think it's a great thing to do. It's something that you... uh, I was the one holding the saber, by the way. Sorry? I was the one holding the saber. I know. (laughs) 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 Lucky it didn't explode in your hands. Yeah, but it's, it's something that uh, uh, we think is uh, a very common part of uh, champagne pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, almost everyone knows about opening a bottle of champagne with a sword. Yeah, Mo- Many have seen it. Very few have tried it. Um, it's actually quite easy to do if you have the right uh, technique. Mm-hmm. And it can be quite dangerous to do if you have the wrong yeah. technique. <laughs> um, so we think it's a great way to start a... Uh, a tasting especially with a group of people that usually don't know each other like in the case when I was in your house yes. Maris, uh, you, of course you had invited your friends so you all knew each other but uh, normally that is not the case it's a great way to break the ice and have a little bit of fun because that is what it's about yeah in the end you know having fun mm. enjoying learning new things and is that important for you to really bring down that stuffiness that is you know you could say champagne still has this kind of like you know luxury and expensive feel are you trying to bring that down to the level that it's just open to a lot more people yeah i think uh you know having visited a lot of different champagne cultures uh the netherlands has a very only on celebrations kind of attitude towards champagne yeah well Uh, not not in my house but not in your house (laughs) not in mine either (laughs) Uh, but uh I, we, we're not there specifically to um, make it uh, the everyday drink. We think you can drink champagne at any day. And I think most people agree that champagne is the only drink you can drink in the morning. But uh, we, we find it more that the snobbery around uh, wine is uh, way uh, beyond its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connoisseur Bohème, the distribution company here, that is what the name refers to, you know. 
casual enjoyment. It's not about saying, oh, look at this, this is Grand Cru, or look at this, this is so old. It's more, do you like it or do you not like it? Right? Yeah. That is what matters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you see end. that shift in, in, I guess, your customers in the generations. It's not, you know, I, I suspect, you know, a lot of your customers are people our age, let's say, that are less about that and really just about experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we, we rarely see this old attitude we rarely see it. I know that it's still there in a lot of places, and I think it it lives on in a lot of people's minds as oh, a champagne tasting that is going to be a long, boring affair. <laughs> uh, whereas uh, uh, once you come to experience it with us, it's very much the different uh, experience, mm -hmm. where it is vibrant, dynamic, mm -hmm. uh, very much an exchange of information and knowledge. Yeah, and I think it's also the education. I mean, that's, you know, that's yeah. kind of with Michel, you know, Michel a know couple of years ago, he knew nothing. Well, <laughs> I mean, you were like, what is this champagne? And when we went to the champagne region together and I kind of took him on a journey. And I'm also someone who doesn't, you know, know about the different notes and all that. I just know if I like it or I don't like yeah. it, but then took him on that journey. And I think yeah. that's maybe something that you're trying to achieve is also open it up to those people who think it's a, a champagne is only for, you know, uh, 12 midnight on New Year's, but it actually is just a drink for all celebration or all moments. I'd yeah, say. no, indeed. And uh, we, uh, I had an interesting revelation uh, uh, this fall in September. We were doing a cooking class uh, in um, Mefrau Hammersma's cookbook shop uh, in the pipe uh, yeah. together with Harold Hammersma. And uh, he said, I think this is the first. Uh, champagne uh, cooking class that has been given here in uh, the Netherlands and very rarely do I even see that there is a uh, menu on a restaurant where they pair it only with champagnes yeah which I thought was actually very strange because normally for me in champagne cultures this happens uh, all the time but here uh, not so much so that is definitely something that we think is interesting to show uh, to teach that you can drink champagne with any type of course that you want to serve. Um, our champagnes are not suitable for every course, but there are champagnes out there which you can pair with venison or whatever you prefer. Yeah. And what is your range like? So, so of course we uh, we tried this, we tried them now. But what like what is your range? What is what are the ranges within your champagne house that you have? Do you cover all? Do you tick all the boxes when it comes no, to? No, we <laughs> we are. Uh, we're ticking as few boxes as uh, possible. Actually, we have an extremely uh, narrow uh, scope of where we look to produce uh, champagnes. Uh, we, we are very fortunate with Francois' heritage in La Cote Blanc, where we have only Premier Cru and Grand Cru uh, vineyards. Mm -hmm. um, they are all Chardonnay. Uh, so all of our champagnes, except one, is Chardonnay-based, Blanc de Blanc. We focus on making vintage champagnes uh, almost exclusively except for one which is also the champagne where we have Pinot Noir our rosé um, so this recipe of only Chardonnay from La Cote Blanc only Premier and Grand Cru villages only the first pressing yeah. and very low dosage no malolactic fermentation this is uh, the style that we are going for very crisp clear mm -hmm. and a uh, a production method that is based on Francois's uh, philosophy of creating champagnes of the highest fraîcheur, finesse and elegance. Exactly. And how much of the percentage of is, is of course, the wines you make versus the private vintages? I mean, is it? Is well, we make more bottles in what we call our ready to drink line than yeah. what we make a personal vintage. Um, yeah. But uh, do you see that shifting? Do you want that to shift? I think we will see more and more. Uh, personal vintage being made uh, in the future. We are currently at the production of 130,000 bottles Whoa. per year. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. Uh, it is quite many, but uh, to put it into some context, uh, in Champagne, there's uh, 330 million bottles produced every year. <coughs> uh, 40 million are produced by uh, Moët de Chandon, the biggest yep. producer in uh, Champagne. Uh, so there is a lot of producers in Champagne, and we usually say that we are um, uh, smaller than all the brands that you have heard of, but bigger than most brands. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. about the other brands that you represent? What, what are other brands that we have to look out for? <laughs> yeah, well, here, here in the Netherlands, uh, we, uh, we are very proud to work together with Karelian Caviar, a uh, caviar producer from Finland that uh, is one of the very few sustainable caviar producers, uh, which means that uh, there's very little uh, to none antibiotics. And uh, the fishes, uh, it sounds uh, terrible, but the fishes uh, are only harvested once. Yeah. A lot of the time in caviar production, you will uh, make the fishes produce the caviar uh, multiple times. Wow. Um, and uh, so that is something that is super proud to be able to represent. It's a uh, producer that is served at some of the world's uh, top uh, restaurants in yeah. the Nordics. So it's not only other champagne brands that you represent? like on the No, no or other or champagne brands. Oh, no, other, okay. no. But, other, uh, but other wines? Other wines, yeah. other wines uh, yeah. a little bit. We have a producer in Chablis that we have been working with for uh, many years that we serve at our dinners uh, in Champagne that we are bringing here, the caviar producer. And then we work a lot with uh, dealers uh, throughout Europe that uh, keep uh, wine on maturation yep. and then we bring this matured wine here to give this tasting experience. Uh, I'm just gonna have a b little bit more. It's, I've been yeah. looking at my glass <laughs> and it's been, you know, very... I'll come to you. Uh, yeah. I'll stretch out. <laughs> Michel, do you want some more? Yes, food? please. I think uh, if it's too good to... Yeah, it went down. Thank you, sir. Most welcome. Perfect. Beautiful color. Yeah. But I mean, I, I of course, yeah, because I enjoy a bit more the the uh, the 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 wines that have laid for a lot longer. Yeah. And therefore get a bit more that. I mean, it's it it doesn't sound right, but a bit more that musty, that musty. Yeah. That musty feel. They become more powerful. Yeah, with age. Yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful to have with dinner and you know with 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 the great uh, with the great dishes. I'd say that's what I like yeah. to do always with my wines. Yeah, it's exciting what you can uh, do, and for uh, a lot of uh, people, I think that uh, you don't have the opportunity to store wine at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or maybe you have a very limited opportunity to store wine at home, and um, it's nice to be able to at either just experience what are matured wines tasting like in a setting where you can compare them side by side yeah a lot of the time we see uh, people coming in that have tasted they have a favorite brand of champagne and uh, they buy it at home then we taste it in a blind tasting and it's not their favorite any longer <laughs> and this is because uh, normally when you drink champagne you drink a glass here or a bottle there a mm. one and then uh, you think that was nice yeah yeah, but you never take the chance to actually compare. But do you think that branding plays a big role in that? In that this is my favorite champagne, not only because of how it tastes, but also just, you know, everything else around it? I think champagne is unique uh, in that way, actually. Um, in champagne, people often say, I like this brand or I like that brand. It's extremely brand uh, driven. You never hear this when it comes to uh, red wine or white wine. Mm -hmm. I only drink uh, Chateau Ponte Canet. Mm. No one says that. Maybe they say I drink Bordeaux or I drink Burgundy or Rhone yeah, or right. whatever or a grape. But very rarely do they drink uh, a producer as exclusively as they do in Champagne. And this is, of course, because Champagne has been very good at marketing yeah. brands yeah, in this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that also maybe just the accessibility price wise that maybe makes it a bit more that people don't buy it as much or? They don't buy champagne as much as yeah, uh, as, as a white wine and well i think it, it's a uh, when, when champagne was starting to be marketed uh, uh, globally uh, in conjunction with the world fair in paris uh, when the eiffel tower was uh, yeah. erected it became marketed <coughs> as the drink that you have on special occasions yeah. that was the whole uh, marketing premise oh you should have the pop uh, to celebrate uh, and um, that lives on, of course. Uh, and I think uh, all of us in the company, we drink uh, a lot of champagne, we drink a lot of wine as well. Uh, we love it. Yeah. So what does the future hold for Hot and Sonner and what does the future hold for you? Where, where do you, what, 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 do you, yeah, what are you still uh, trying to achieve? I think you're still very young in the entrepreneurship game. <laughs> so there's much you want to achieve and, 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 and do. It's a long time to go, but uh, 
for Hutt, uh, the vision uh, right now is to, um, and I think this will be where we end up, uh, we're trying to increase uh, our production uh, by acquiring more land in Champagne to bring us up from 130,000 bottles to 300,000 bottles. So wait, so so the increase is really down to also the amount of uh, vines you own. So that really is goes hand in hand. Yeah, for us, we prefer to own uh, the vineyards rather than leasing them or buying uh, grapes uh, on the market, because uh, this way we can control the quality from A to Z. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to buy land in Champagne. Very little land is uh, sold, mm. and most of the land that is sold is sold through very, very long uh, family relations. Uh, but uh, once we reach 300,000 bottles, we say that that will be the end. Mm. And then, uh, because it becomes very difficult to control quality once you have large scale volumes. And, this champagne that we are drinking now, this edition is made in 1,000 bottles and the entire vintage is made in 5,000 bottles. This way we can create really unique, exciting yeah. things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So growth, but never at the expense of uh, quality. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for Kobo and for myself right now, um, in the short run we see to establish ourselves properly here in uh, the Netherlands and then starting to open up new markets starting to uh, find more and more producers out there that we can uh, help uh, reach uh, the markets and that is going to be a very exciting journey for the next 10 years yeah oh wow one of my last questions and i've always wondered this i'm i'm someone who who believes in even though i have a champagne i'm never going to keep it for very long or sell it on it's meant to be drank i mean what's your feeling about that are you because you have a lot of you know wine uh, um wine owners who would keep their wines or champagne and not necessarily drink it and try and set it on i mean i i i don't believe that but yeah. what's your feeling about that well i think uh, champagne and wines are made to be drunk i don't think they are investment objects uh, like that we see this a lot with bordeaux today uh, prices have really skyrocketed uh, because they're being traded uh, like a derivative this is um, yeah, it's something that I think is a, sh a bit of a shame because it uh, takes away from, I think every producer feels that their bottles should be drunk. Yeah. The same like an artist wants their painting to be hung on a wall so people can see them and mm. not locked up in some bank vault uh -huh. uh, where, where you can't see it. But in terms of maturing uh, wines and champagne, I often encourage uh, people to buy a case of something that you like mm -hmm. and yep. then uh, maybe drink don't drink it all at once but drink uh, first one year, bottle, one year a couple, and then yeah. you see how it's developing and yeah. if you think it tastes amazing at a certain point then you know okay now it's time to uh, finish this case <laughs> enjoy it all yeah i have a question by the way yeah. how do you feel about uh, the spanish version of uh, champagne like cava or like the italian version yeah do you like it do you, or? Uh, i like some uh, more than others um, they all taste different, right? Mm -hmm. um, Cava, I think, is very interesting in a sense because it's made very, in a very, very similar fashion to how Champagne is made. Prosecco is made in a completely different way. Cremance, uh, which are other sparkling wines from uh, France, uh, usually are made in the same way that uh, Champagne... Can you explain the difference with like why is Prosecco? Because people wouldn't, probably listening, some people yeah. won't know what the difference is in that Well, Prosecco, production. Cava and... Uh, most cremants are made from the same grapes as champagne is made and it's made in the same process of a primary fermentation on tanks and then a secondary fermentation on the bottle uh, but uh, prosecco has a completely different production process and it's made from a grape type called glera uh, which is a grape that doesn't react very well to uh, the lees mm -hmm. that are created the yeast that remains uh, in the tank or in the bottle after fermentation yeah. so it is uh, fermented to um, uh, to a sparkling version directly on the tank and then okay. immediately extracted in the bottle. Uh, so the process is much faster and it has a completely different uh, flavor. I think uh, a long time ago it was always a competition between sparkling wine, which is the best. Mm -hmm. And I think this uh, competition is actually very sad because there's no need for it. Each uh, sparkling wine, each region has its own history, its own character, its own story to tell. And whatever you like, uh, you like. is what you should uh, drink. Uh, yeah. drink, right? So um, 
I, I like some of them, but I do prefer champagne. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, any more questions no. for you, Michelle? Anything you want to share with the listeners more about yourself or? Well, um, I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity for a bit <laughs> of uh, marketing. <laughs> I thought you didn't do marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would like to extend an invitation to uh, uh, everyone who's listening to uh, go to our website, uh, www.coboinvites.com and sign up there uh, to join one of our tastings and come and uh, meet me and taste uh, all these champagnes that we have been uh, talking about now and see what it's all about in reality. No, I think it's I think it's worth it because like you said, you're saying to do a marketing plug, but but it isn't that. It's just really sharing what you've done and your passion with, 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 with the people out there. And I think, you know, that, you know, I was very thankful that you came to my house to share that also with my friends who, who really enjoyed it, which is really nice. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Misha and I are going to come to the house yeah, in, sure. in Champagne soon, nice. <laughs> for nice. sure. It's yeah. something I think uh, we still want to make that trip July, again. We are open again. Oh, perfect. Now, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, actually, one last question, just a bit. Um, we touched upon it right before we started about the fact that, you know, in the news right now, it was brought up, of course, that, that the Champagne sales went down. I think yeah. it said 80%. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you also mentioned, well, it hasn't affected us that much, no. of course. And, 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 and is that because of that flexibility, that those small numbers, that why it hasn't affected you? Yeah, I think it's because uh, we are, we're very close with our uh, customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of champagne sales, for instance, is uh, based on uh, restaurants, uh, which have, of course, been closed. This probably accounts for 50 out of the 80% uh, yeah. drop. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think the flexibility and the ability to connect with our clients is something that makes less affected. But uh, for sure, it is not uh, business as usual. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you well, and I, I think you're going to get up there. And I, and I love the champagne. I'm really uh, happy you uh, joined us. Today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Matthias. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.